Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this week I am joined once again by Black and Red United contributor Jason Anderson. How's it going, Jason? Uh, It's going. Uh, It is going. Yeah, we should probably start. Yeah, yeah, we are recording this on Sunday night. Um, Another big week in news, in off the field stuff. This has really been sort of the fallout week, right? Just the Mm -hmm. continued fallout from that bombshell reporting by the athletic that I now actually consider weeks to be Thursday to Thursday, because that is how I count time. Now it was two (laughs) Thursdays ago that the athletic um, pretty much shook everything that the NWSL uh, has stood on. So Jason, I think maybe I'll just start with uh, how are you, how are you feeling? So you, so you in Washington, you, you follow them closely. They played two games this week. Mm -hmm. So lots of actual soccer playing, a lot of other stuff though too. So so how's it over? How's it over in the DMV right now? Uh deeply weird. Um it's deeply weird to be like trying to write a game preview about the game, the physical playing of soccer when it's such a secondary thing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um and yet it's also like they're in the thick of this playoff race. Um and it's it's been just like it feels like my brain is being like torn in, in two almost. It's it's been a deeply weird experience to think about the human side of things so much. Uh and yet also there is like the mechanics of a possible sale. Um yes. there's an ownership dispute. This is still a team that has uh an acting head coach. Um all of these things are unresolved. And so I'm I'm in it for lack of a better way to put it. It's been it's been bizarre. Uh, I drove up to Gotham for the Wednesday or to Philadelphia, I should say for the Wednesday game. Mm-hmm. And I got stuck in a traffic jam. There was some sort of road construction on 95 in far Northern Maryland that I didn't know was going to be there. And it got to be like 1230 uh, AM. And I was still just like sitting still on a highway yeah. and trying to process that game just by itself. And like, realizing as I as I finally got through the traffic I was just like I didn't process much of anything there's just so much that yeah having an hour of unplanned uh sitting time where I can do nothing but think I still made like a little tiny dent and that was it right it's a lot it seems like my experience with it has been it's a league in full existential crisis right now Mm -hmm. and yet Mm -hmm. the day-to-day is continuing which is, I mean, we know that the players have talked about how it's really hard on them. I think it's hard on us as media. Um, I think it's probably quite hard on other people in front offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, let's kind of talk about Wednesday. Because Wednesday, I think, was the next big uh, cornerstone point of, of the events that have occurred in that we got a very update. We got an updated, very unified message from the players got some specific messaging actually from the Washington spirit Mm -hmm. from the Portland thorns. So we've seen because this is such a mess, this has required a full players association response. And then even players within specific clubs have had to then speak specifically to the issues in their club Mm -hmm. that is not covered by the NWSL players association. Um, it's been a lot. So anyway, so we'll just kind of talk about what happened a little bit and then sort of dig into what we feel is probably coming next. So on what it was on Tuesday, I 
think Monday or Tuesday, pretty quickly, actually, after the weekend, that it became, it was sourced to, to various media members that the games were going to be played on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, with the understanding that more to come from the Players Association, but they were going to do it while playing games. I think part of the reason, uh, this is not some from inside information, but I think you can kind of guess that that big Carly Lloyd Philadelphia game might have been weighing heavily on a lot of people's minds. They sold mm-hmm. over ten thousand tickets, right, to that yeah. game. Yeah, it was yes. it was a big a big occasion. Um, yeah. and and Gotham seemed like, regardless of everything else that's happening, they did seem genuinely invested as a mm-hmm. club and the individual players in making sure it was a good occasion for Carly Lloyd. So, right. uh, it was a weird. This is just another weird aspect to it where. So much is happening. And then that was also so much is happening. Like yes. if, if everything was going as normal, that would have been a huge occasion. Yes. And then it happens in the middle of all of this, which is a much bigger thing. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I can imagine that that was a big part of that was also a um, CBS Sports Network yes. uh, broadcast. So you have that on top of it. Um, so, yeah, just uh, one more extremely gigantic thing there were a number of times not even on wednesday but this weekend where you think about some of the narratives and you're like wow this would be the story if there weren't five thousand other things going on um but yes so this was carly lloyd's big philadelphia homecoming they sell a lot of tickets um right before the games are played we get a number of messages from from players um one of which i think we should start with is the the larger demands of the NWSL Players Association, which as of this recording, which is Sunday night, these demands, um, the, the requirement for them to be met or at least acknowledged by the league is this Wednesday, is Wednesday, October mm-hmm. 13th, which is when many of last weekend's games have been rescheduled for. Um, I want to just kind of do a, a bullet bullet point real quick of, of what the NWSL is asking for. And this is essentially what they think needs to happen in order for players to feel comfortable um, continuing on essentially with this particular league management. So the NWSL Players Association would like every coach, general manager, representative on the board of governors and owner owners to voluntarily, oh my gosh, I can't talk tonight. Sorry, guys. Voluntarily submit to the players association's independent investigation into abusive conduct. So they do not want to limit this to those named in, in the story. The idea is that this is endemic of a larger culture. They want everybody investigated and they want that to answer to the players specifically, not to the board of owners themselves. Um, They want the scope of the NWSL's investigation to include every single general manager and owner. So they, part of this is them saying it's not good enough for you just to investigate this particular case that has been brought up. We need to find out what we don't know. We need to find out what other stories are out there um, and how those can be rectified, um, including the enabling of abuse. They would Mm -hmm. like investigations into those in positions of power who might have known about abuse that occurred in the league and did not do anything. Um, they ask for an immediate step back protocol, which I think to sort of synthesize what I believe that is, is they basically want to empower clubs to quickly remove people from their positions with the mm-hmm. understanding that if they are cleared of wrongdoing, they can be given their jobs back. So I think they're just trying to put a protocol together to remove people if they are under investigation with the understanding that if they are cleared, they can go back to that job. Um like a like a bit of a pause button. Right, almost. exactly. Um, I think they're they're mostly just asking for there to be a protocol. Yes, cuz yeah. 
as with so many NWSL things, there isn't. Right. Um, exactly. There's so much lack of infrastructure. It's just a, uh, you know, a handful of uh, roads in otherwise completely unsettled, uh, yes. unexplored territory. And so, so many things keep going, keep happening that it's like, well, no one planned for this because there hasn't been planning. Well, and I think also, as we've seen over the last week, we've seen clubs freeze a little bit, deer in headlights when mm-hmm. um, told about wrongdoing, because I think they don't know what to do. They don't know, should I terminate this person immediately? Does that open my, me up, up to a lawsuit if we do that? Um, what are the rules? What are the protocols? And so I think by putting that in place, they're trying to protect the clubs as well, because mm-hmm. the clubs, I think, are nervous about removing people without finished investigations because that does make them vulnerable legally. Um, and then basically they also, the, the PA just also wants to get the results of these investigations. They want to be included. This, this is maybe the, the tail end of, of some of these demands. They want to be included in the results of, of these investigations. They want to be involved in the naming of a new commissioner. They mm-hmm. want a seat at the table. They want to be consulted. And so, um, I guess maybe my first question for you, Jason, is I know for me, the the thought that I had looking at that was I was like, oh, well, that's enough, right? Maybe mm-hmm. this is finally, we've hit a level of this might actually mean that the league can go on as, mm-hmm. as put together as it is now. Um, I don't know. What's your take on the PA's demands? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's important that they are specific. You know, the reason like the step pack protocol, that's a, like, it's a legitimately a long piece of text in this. Right. Like I have the, the email open and um, it has to be, and this is maybe one of the things with NWSL that has been so frustrating is that even stuff that is in a protocol uh, I know with the um, COVID protocols, there have been uh, conf- there has been confusion um, right. with the, the spirit cited um, uh, Chris Ward in one of the pregame press conferences uh, recently said that the spirit felt that uh, Devin Kerr suspension, they felt like they had complied um, and then were told that it was a different interpretation. And so it's the kind of thing where the lack of being specific opens the door to teams saying, Oh, well, we think we did the right thing. And it turns out the league says, well, no, you didn't. Um, And this is, you know, it's, kind of striking that the players have as an association have things together enough that they're able to be specific in this way and, and address questions that for all signs we have maybe have never been really thoroughly asked within the league Um, in terms of the league as a, uh, an authority, maybe not even asking these questions within, within themselves to say like, is, have we set things up correctly or, or not? And they've just got so many blind spots that, um, I think it's vital that the players they've been, they've experienced this so much. So they know where the blind spots are because they've probably been failed by things right. happening in those blind spots. And so um, I, I imagine that some, there are probably some veteran players who have been thinking about some of these demands for quite a while as right. well. Um, so it's not, it's not surprising to see that they feel like the prepared party out of the two uh, parties in this uh, this equation right um, it's not good that they might be the only one that is prepared but that is why we are in the situation we're in yeah I mean I think that if you look at the themes here they want accountability 
they want transparency and they want a little bit more equitable power in decision making. Mm -hmm. And all of those things seem reasonable. Um, not mentioned in these demands has anything to do with the CBA, which it right. seems like they're trying to keep those things separate. And I think that that's actually important because what we're seeing with the players association and actually probably on the ownership side as well is two parties that need to toe the line on how adversarial they want to become. Mm -hmm. So you have to demand accountability and you also have to ride the public goodwill that you're currently feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't cross the line because then you can't actually have a productive relationship with the other side. Right. Um, and so it seems maybe just from the outside that we're seeing some very hard lines being drawn in the concept of what the NWSL has to be able to do to ensure player safety, but they are still sort of working behind closed doors with the league on the CBA. But, and this is my opinion, and I just want to see if your thoughts on it, they have to go hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. This is still probably not enough without some player rights written into a ratified collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I don't know that a lot of these issues might not be completely fixed without the CBA being completed and containing the solution to some of these problems and uh, spelling out exactly what needs to happen in a given situation. Um, some of this situation comes down to players lacking power. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that they could get fired um, right. very quickly or traded without any input. Um, and as long as that's the situation, uh, there is, it, it's a built in baked in function of the league to be able for, for clubs to be able to act punitively to players who just spoke out against something and, you know, the person hearing it on the other side didn't like what was said um, or was being accused of doing something. They can get someone that is in the right and saying, like, you can't treat me like this. They could ship them out. No problem. Uh, the way the league is built. So um, I do think the CBA, uh, the need for things like free agency and things like that, it absolutely comes back to these demands from the Players Association because, the fear factor that's built into how the league is structured, how heavily favored, how heavily it favors the clubs in club and player contract negotiations, it, it bleeds into everything. Um, so I do understand why they want to keep the two things separate for the time being, but I also imagine that at the negotiating table, it's probably a very different uh, tone because it's, it is, these things are, they've intersected very thoroughly. They're, they're completely bound together and, um, you know, getting a fix to the abuse and the, the power imbalance in the league. I don't think it comes without players having the ability to control their destiny to more than almost zero, uh, which is the current standard. Right. Um, a, a thing that, that struck me, uh, Kaya McCullough wrote a very good op-ed in the Washington Post this week. And something that she said, um, which is so true, is, is that, this change, this sea change that we're seeing, none of it came from the benevolence of the ownership class. Right. It came because of the, the bravery and the collective solidarity of the workers. And essentially, you know, if you cannot trust that benevolence, or you shouldn't have to, maybe is my point. Right. Um, it should not be a system where you have to trust the benevolence of people who hold all the power because that 
you will never have people on the other side who are going to always be acting in the best interests of their workers. Um, so let's talk then about some of the other things that happened before games kicked off. So mm-hmm. um, we saw this list of demands. They also, the, the players association also released a statement about what they wanted to do during the games. One of which included that they wanted to take questions uh, about systemic failures. They wanted to talk about, um, they, they did not want to talk about games on Wednesday right. night for the most part. And then they also brought up that they will be doing a demonstration during the game. It says the, the, the uh, statement about what they were planning to do mid game is they said, uh, first of all, they said six years, silence is deafening following the game media are advised that players will refuse to answer any questions that do not relate to abuse and systemic change in the NWSL systemic transformation is not something you say it is something that you do. Um, and then they said in the sixth minute, we are going to be standing in the center circle for a moment of silence. And I believe the significance of the sixth minute was again, the six years mm-hmm. that it took for Sinead Fairley and Monashin to have their stories heard. Um, we saw last year, um, and I, and I want to make a point here pretty, pretty quickly as well about the timeline of player demonstration in the NWSL. And it absolutely begins with the black players in the league and the black women's player collective, um, demonstrating at the challenge cup last year. That is where this started. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that idea that this can be done and can be done effectively has grown in the league. Um, we've seen people wearing a lot of shirts with messages, right? We've seen that sort of personal expression. Mm-hmm. We've seen kneeling continue to happen, though, obviously, um, in something of a fractured front more than, mm-hmm. than what we've seen in terms of, of this particular story. And now you're seeing everybody, right? It's all of the subs. It's the whole clubs on either side, the players meeting at the center circle um, for a moment of silence in the sixth minute. Um, Jason, have you ever seen anything quite like that in in your time covering the sport? Uh, No, uh, not even close. Um, And uh, unfortunately, uh, as my sore back from that traffic jam I was complaining about, um, tells me it's been a while. Uh, I've, yeah. I've been unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, number, depending on a view it. Yeah. Covering, covering a lot of soccer for a lot of time. And I don't have, uh, an analog for, for Wednesday or for this weekend. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably going to take that though, because the league is in, you know, such a place where you have so many different problems coming to a head that should have come to a head years ago and they've been just left to sit um, and, and, you know, cause people to suffer for years or um, leave things open for the same problem to repeat itself at different places. And it it was going to take a unique uh, solution. Um, And I noticed, you know, one thing I noticed that um, I can't, I haven't heard this from players directly, but just noticing how it seemed to go, at the different games, uh, I don't know that the players wanted the clubs to know. I think they wanted to send the statement and have it be a surprise because surprise can be bracing and can make you focus um, in a way that otherwise clubs might've tried to manage 
the event or try to have their own input. And this wasn't for them. Um, and so um, I think that was a very and a small but important aspect to this as well, um, that the teams were left out of the loop because or the clubs, I should say, were left out of the loop. Um, and the the players on the roster did this as a as one, but not as a club. Um, it was the players of the spirit and the players of Gotham, right. not the spirit and Gotham. Um, yes. And uh, I think they they thought this one through very well. I, I can't imagine how they had the time uh, to have uh, good ideas. I think because... it's been a big job. The the feedback yeah. that we've gotten from I, we've talked to a number of PA reps over this week. You you spoke to Tori Huster. I know mm-hmm. Katie Naughton from the Dash spoke. I spoke to Kaylee Watt earlier tonight. Um, I think they've been very very busy. Um, yeah, I Tori Huster said that she can't remember having any any free time that was not spent on calls or other organizing from the PA side. Um, and I will also say that from the weekend's games yes, yesterday for, for me, um, Aubrey Bledsoe and Ashley Hatch, they're the spirits team PA reps. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, it's kind of a rueful joke, but they said, you know, this is the first time we've ever had so much interest that everyone's interested in the PA stuff. Now they want to know the nitty gritty right. on everything. And in the past, it's been like, guys, you have to pay attention to this, please like right. read the stuff. Um, and now it's the opposite. Um, but that's but still that's, like, that's exactly what the union's for, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Uh, if you, you don't want them involved all the time, cause that means that things aren't going well. Um, but they're there to protect you when you need them the most. Um, mm-hmm. so then, yes, yeah, so let's actually pivot into that a little bit, maybe, um, we saw league wide uh, a collective movement, and I and I do actually want to also mention that this has had a ripple effect outside of the NWSL as well. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen uh, people in Australia speak up, uh, Venezuela, the European teams in the WSL this weekend. Um, they all joined in to the demonstration, mm-hmm. and so that idea of solidarity amongst players, amongst leagues, amongst different regions of the world has been very present. Um, but there are some teams more involved than others. And we have seen players put in very difficult positions by the actions of their front offices. And I, and I specifically do want to talk about when talking about Wednesday, what we saw from Washington and what we saw from Portland. Mm-hmm. Now, Washington was not involved in this particular story, right? The Paul Riley story. But obviously, we have talked about um, – the issues going on with the club. Actually, we were, I remember thinking the last time you were on was before all of this. Yes. So we didn't actually talk about it on here. I'm like, that's wild. Um, but the Washington Spirit players had a very pointed letter that mm-hmm. they released towards their majority owner, Steve Baldwin, and they told him to sell the team to Michelle yes. Kang, which was a very brave thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've seen, Steve Baldwin has all of the power to run this club into the ground if yeah. he wants to. Um, and then we also saw the Portland Thorns, whose front office, members of its front office, was involved in this Paul Riley story. Um, they asked for the suspension of Gavin Wilkinson, mm-hmm. and it took that request for it to happen. He has been placed yes. on administrative leave from the Thorns side. Without them asking for it, I'm not sure that occurs. Um, how do players, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how do you balance your playing games you are trying not to be in open revolt mm-hmm. against your boss because the one thing you and your boss have in common is that you don't want all of this to fall apart. Right. But it's clear that 
change will not occur without you drawing the line. Mm. So, you know, maybe talk about Washington a little bit, because that's what you're closer to. How have players been balancing that? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't know how they're doing it. Um, we, the question came up, uh, I believe uh, Steph Young asked the question after the game of uh, Bledsoe and Hatch. And Aubrey Bledsoe gave a really thoughtful answer, but also was there's exasperation uh, in her tone, not at being asked, but at the whole subject um, that, you know, the, the way it's been handled here has been things like Steve Baldwin saying he's going to step aside as CEO, but the players don't hear from him directly. They just, they finished training. Like his, right. his announcement was tweeted through the team social media, which I'm sure the players were particularly frustrated with that little extra aspect of it. Yep. Um, but rather than a direct, you know, they went to him directly. They, they wrote him a letter um, and sent it to him. They didn't put it out into the world. Right. Um, this was a letter they crafted. Um, if I'm not mistaken in the downtime they had when the North Carolina game was postponed. Right. Um, Cause they were, they had made the trip. Um, the right. decision the yeah, it happened yeah. right after they got to North Carolina is that right. when that's when it was announced. So um, they tried to, handle this internally yeah they they tried to go to him and say we're not going out into the world but like let's we need to have this conversation and for him to publish his statement while they were training so they all finish a training session and you know are going for team meal or or go home or whatever it is and that's what they found out when they get back to their phones and it was a I can only imagine how it felt for them. You can you can tell that it's still extraordinarily irritating among many. The wording other was pointed, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but like they had they had had enough, and then this happened on top right. of it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, Bledsoe I think was very specific in saying like the fact that the, the they want to stay in the area, and it seems like. Baldwin is so interested in winning his personal battle that he would he rather move. he'd rather sell the, the team. team. Yeah. Um, and, and who knows how, how much is there? Because at this point it has to be said, like he says that he has interest from elsewhere to move the team, right. but he has said some things so far that have proven to be untrue. Right. So how much is, how much of that is just saber rattling for negotiations or is it legitimately a thing, but and the board of owners did determine that he had not sufficiently rectified yes. his violation. So right. I don't Which, know what they're looking for. It looks like it's a sale. Uh, to some degree. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know exactly. I know that some steps have been taken. Um, uh, I've, I had it confirmed by several people in and around the club that Larry best hasn't been around the players, which right, is a big change, a but, yeah. but I've also, you know, I'm not, I, I have no certainty that he's not involved at all. Like the fact that he's not around the players doesn't mean he's not doing stuff right. and making decisions. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, you know, the, the, I believe the deadline for that specific thing is Tuesday. Right. Um, and at that point, I don't know what the league would do after that. Right. Um, but currently at least they the violation is still out there and has not been satisfactory satisfactorily answered um yeah the players... I mean, it seems like it seems like a number of teams are really playing hardball with the deadlines being yeah. being set to them um i we've seen some reluctance to remove people or suspend people um 
And, and I think the weird thing right now is that, right, you have Portland, who is very close to this Paul Riley story mm. and has been urged by the players to certainly investigate, right, their general manager and see, see what they find. Um, but for whatever reason, it does not feel like the Portland Thorns are going anywhere, right? Yeah. With the I spirit, mm. are you worried? Are you worried about the spirit? Uh, at this point, not super worried. Um, like I said, I, I have some degree of skepticism about the the idea of a move. Right. Um, but I am worried about the idea of this being dragged out for a very long time. Right. Um, because the club as is, it's kind of crisis mode. Um, uh, I believe uh, The Athletic reported the financial side of this, um, the losses that the right. spirit are Millions planning on taking yeah. are it's about double uh, the normal annual loss for an average NWSL team. Right. Um, and that's coming out of 2020 where they also had bigger losses than normal because they couldn't sell, they couldn't right. get any game day revenue. So that it, it, it's the kind of thing that can sort of, it leaves the club with very few options and it, it hampers you in so many other ways. So even if, things proceed and the the squad stays strong and they've got a good roster and that side of things proceeds. All right. It still has a big impact on a lot of other things. This is a team that is supposed to uh, move into DC United's in construction, currently training facility. Um, This is a team that would like to, I assume like to never play at Segra field again. Right. Um, But all of those things are financial. And if you're having this amount of chaos and it's causing this amount of financial loss, it is to use the same term again, unfortunately, uh, it's like a pause button being hit on the organization. Right. Um, And as long as this is hanging over them, I don't know how much the team can progress because they were on a very good upward trajectory. This is one of the weird aspects about Steve Baldwin's ownership when he came in. Uh, He repeatedly said he was going to be player focused and initially, the players said that he had been player focused, that he had listened to them um, on some specific requests, uh, things like a partnership with a local university. So players could continue their studies. Right. Um, That's something that the players went to him and said, we would like this. And he, he slash people at the team got it done. Um, So there are things that the, the players were pleased with in the direction it was going, but obviously it comes with this, other aspect which is this really abhorrent workplace culture right um and many key staff members some of the most important people off the field in the club are now no longer there and those roles have not been filled well right and i think also a little bit you know maybe to to, to close this up mm. looking at the uncertain future um we've seen when when you have someone who is we'll say maybe you know volatile maybe is a, is a good word for it in that mm. It's not like it's all bad, all downhill, all right. bad, all negative, but it swings wildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very nerve wracking, a very anxious place to be. If you are a player in this club, they probably feel a little bit like they're being held hostage in this power mm-hmm. struggle between Baldwin and Kang, um, who has stuck with it. She was at the game, right? She was she at was, the game at Audi this weekend. She is at the really game. trying. She, yeah. She, she came through the press box to introduce herself to people she hadn't met before. She was with the supporters. Um, she, she saw just about everyone. Right. Um, 
Whereas it is noticeable. She was also at the game Wednesday. Uh, and I was told that she actually came up on Tuesday. I think they, they went up Tuesday night. She came up there, went back home, uh, worked however much of her day back in the DC area. And then like me was on 95 headed back up for the game. So um, she is very present at the moment. I, I think it's not a mistake that the players have seen someone who is actually focused on their concerns um, versus with, with Steve Baldwin. It does not feel that that's always or often the case. It's conditional, anymore. right? It's yeah. it's yeah, it's very conditional. And again, with the power structures as placed together by the NWSL, that is all made worse. You are very much at the whim of an owner. So real quick, um, we are going to talk, we're going to talk about the weekend's games in the second, second block. Um, I do just want to talk about the Wednesday games quickly uh, with the understanding that it was a very emotional night for everybody. Um, it's, it's hard to focus too much on sort of the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. There was at least one quite significant result though. Um, we did have a nil nil draw between Gotham and Washington. Um, you know, we had four point weeks for both Washington and Gotham. So they have to probably feel pretty good about that. Um, North Carolina got a big win against Louisville. Louisville is really struggling right now. Um, Mm -hmm. They were also a team that had players after Wednesday's game ask for privacy, actually, in terms of of transparency towards what what happened with Christy Hawley. So I think that information will come out in due time. Also part of the balance. You need to protect player privacy. So maybe just your thoughts on... Don't look too much. We'll we'll talk more about North Carolina when we talk about their game against Houston this weekend. Mm-hmm. We will also, I think, talk about Gotham more, their game against Orlando. Mm-hmm. That Houston-Portland game felt a little bit like a team, one team that is probably really emotionally struggling with this week, mm-hmm. first and foremost, who also has some of the patterns of, of some kind that, they still haven't really figured everything out just yet, right? Right. Um, the integration of Crystal Dunn into their midfield has not been perfected. Uh, they still do not have, I think, a forward core that they're relying on the most. That's still a lot of rotation happening up there. Houston is on a huge upswing, though. Yeah. Um, I, and I know you watched. You watched this game, right? Did you watch? Yeah, I, I, I watched some of it, but I was in my like sleep fugue. Yes, that's about, right. That's right. <laughs> from Wednesday um, to Thursday, but I did. But see let's it. just. I mean, let's just talk a little bit. Well, this will how we close this out. Let's talk hmm. about um, just what you saw from sort of people again battling through an emotional night, but we did see some sort of class win out in many ways. Um, and so I don't know if you had a particular performance looking at. Uh, Houston or Washington, Gotham, even North Carolina, where you thought to yourself, well, this is nice to see, you know? Uh, I mean, I would say with, with Houston, the fact that they, you know, they charge out to this early lead um, and Portland, you know, there's a little bit of imperfection in the way they're going about their business, but they ended this game with 26 shots. It's not like they hit two nothing and they were like, this one's a lost cause. We're, you know, throwing up our hands. Um, they got back level. And when you see the thorns in Portland come from two, nothing down and still have, I think it was like half an hour to play with. You expect them to go win the game. Um, we, I think all of us have seen this happen 
possibly to the teams we cover directly uh, getting, getting out in front in Portland and then seeing it all go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I absolutely expected um, cause I, I got home. I hadn't even seen the score. So I watched this one, you know, maybe at not 100% mentally, but I definitely sure. was coming at it fresh. And I was like, Oh, I, I bet, you know, the thorns go on and get their winner. Maybe it'll be late and dramatic. And it ends up being Rachel Daly getting yet another goal. Um, she's now, I think, finished the weekend tied with um, Balser and Hatch for yep. the, the Golden Boot. So yep. um, that is a, a collective strength that I think for the Dash is really important because we've seen them. There, there's an inconsistency with the Dash. Sometimes we see them and they look like, wow, what a formidable team um, who are really sure of their identity and sure of exactly what it is they need to do to win games. And then there are other times where you look at the dash and it's like, you know, what is this? Right. Um, what's happening here? Um, and they seem to have just, you know, they spent most, most of the summer in that sort of aimless kind of like, what, what is it that's going on here? Like some of it, yes, Christy Mewis has been away a lot and that dramatically impacts them in a way that I think other missing national team players don't hit their teams quite the same. If you take Christy Mewis out of the dash it's a massive drop off yes, um, right. in so many ways. Um, and, and it's taken them a little while, even when she came back to get it going again. But now all of a sudden it seems like uh, this is the, the dash that won the challenge, challenge cup last cup, year. Yeah, right. um, they've, they've really, they've got the mentality side, right. They seem to understand that they are best being a high press team and, and mixing in counterattack. You know, they go up to nothing and they, start focusing at that point on a lower block and countering, they did almost let it slip. Uh, I don't want to pretend like Portland played badly the entire time or anything, but um, it is kind of impressive to me and it makes the dash, you know, if you ask me a month ago, if I thought the dash, uh, I I thought maybe by this point in the schedule, the dash might be wobbling and be that. It it seemed for a second, like it might not happen for them. It might just never click. Yeah. Like they, they might be that team in eighth looking at right. their last three games saying like, we have to run the table if we're going to get in right now they're, they finished the weekend in third yeah. um, with uh you know, they're, they've still got games against um, I know they played this. The final game of the season is the, they come to Washington mm-hmm. on Halloween, uh, which Ooh, effectively spooky. is a, it's a very <laughs> spooky playoff game yeah, yeah. Uh, effectively. So, yeah. um, but they, they, this is the dash that I think, they have to be this locked in. Um, right. I think there's a certain. And they can't, they kind of can't let it wobble. Yeah. It has yeah. to stay this way from now until the playoffs. This is a team that can't get away with 80 or 90%. They right. have to be at 100 to be yes. the good version of the dash. And the good version of the dash is very hard to beat, which is kind of mm-hmm. what we saw. All right. So we'll wrap this up, you know, long discussion about Wednesday, but obviously a lot occurred. We will be talking soccer in the B block, we'll be talking about the weekend's games, which were equally weird, but also there's some good soccer being played. So we'll talk about that too. So hold on just one sec. We'll be back with part two of the Equalizer podcast. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and I am joined this week by Black and Red United's Jason Anderson. And we, oh, actually, no, I need to do the thing where I ask you to rate and review this podcast. Please do that. Give us five stars say something nice. It helps people find us. Um, you know, we're doing our very best to help guide, you know, some media through this, this difficult time. So give us a nice rating, give us a review 
Um, we're going to talk games. We're going to talk about this weekend's games and we'll probably have a couple throwbacks to Wednesday as we talk holistically as well. Um, with the understanding that I know that players have been going through a lot, um, and we're probably not going to push too hard on anyone's particular performances, but it is also really important to cover these games. That is something that I believe very strongly, um, because everything that the players have to say off the field is very important, but as important is their contributions on the field because that is what they do so excellently. So we're going to talk about that. Let's start with Saturday. So Saturday, um, we have one really significant game. It kind of felt like in terms of trending, Mm -hmm. um, and then one that was a little bit, obviously a great win for Washington. Like we said, Louisville is really struggling right now. Um, so let's actually start with, let's start with maybe the marquee game, which we had a couple matchups this week of teams who are fighting with each other for these playoff spots. Um, so the Orlando pride, they get their chance to play. They did not play during the midweek, right? Um, Orlando is, is sliding right now. They are, mm-hmm. they are sliding out of the playoff picture. They're, they're struggling a little bit. Um, they lose to Gotham. They host Gotham and lose three to two um, on a brace from uh, Tine from Gotham. And then uh, Midge purse also had a goal. Uh, Orlando did make an attempt to come back. They got a goal in the 84th minute from Erica Timrak and Marta did sink a penalty with one minute to go. They could not complete the comeback they do lose um this game reminds me even maybe a little bit of when we talk about the ol rain chicago game that happened Mm -hmm. on sunday which is that we saw some fight good fight from the orlando pride Mm -hmm. um but perhaps like the result is more significant than the performance right at this point yes yeah absolutely um you know, with, with everything so tied up right now, um, I think, I think you and I have had this discussion earlier this year when Chicago and Washington played, um, the fact that, uh, Kayla Sharples seems to have like a magic hold over the spirit on set pieces. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it may end up being one of like, that might be one of, it seems like such a small thing and it may end up being one of the most significant things in the entire season right. standings wise. Um, and this is another one of those situations where, if you're Orlando and you go out and have like a game where, you know, you played badly and you walk out of this with even a draw, it's like, okay, fine. Like the performance has to get much better, but at least we found a way to somehow get out of this one without losing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, that's kind of a measure of where they're at right now with uh, their performances. The, the, the boost that they got when Becky Burley came in, I think has sort of worn off. Right. And teams have also figured out what they've wanted to change. Yes. Um, and they are now kind of attacking that. And, and you know, in this game, for example, you look at the way Gotham set their midfield up. Right. It's, uh, you know, if you told me that McCall Zerboni playing the six alone, mm-hmm. um, that means she's doing a lot of going and trying to chase the ball down and win the ball, which means a lot of space being left behind. And, you know, when the support, for her in that situation is, is Tine and uh, Kawasumi. Right. That's not a lot of support defensively, but this is a thing where Gotham saw the struggles that Orlando's having in the midfield and said, we can get away with being, you know, two technicians and, and a ball winner rather than having someone that's going to hold the space. Well, maybe that's, that's a really good point. I think as well with when you're looking at the teams that are kind of surging and the teams that are not is I think we're seeing teams that have figured out, a couple different ways to be dynamic, mm-hmm. um, really doing well right now. 
and teams who have an obvious glaring weakness, even if it's just one and they do other things quite well, right. They're getting played, they're getting prepared for. Um, and so in this particular game, exactly like you said, Orlando has never really figured its midfield out entirely. It's certainly improved from past years, but mm-hmm. there's a limit to, to what they've been able to achieve. And they also, again, that idea of just playing very direct, I think, teams have gotten a better at staying on top of the Orlando defense, not giving them that much time to, to put long balls over. Um, and so it doesn't really matter how much attacking firepower you have, if they can't get the ball. Right. And so that is ultimately, I think what is sinking Orlando though, again, Gotham, God bless them really tried to give the game away. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, so there were two moments where I felt uh, maybe too plugged in to NWSL during, during Washington's game. Um, and they both, you know, one of them applied to, we'll talk about Trinity Rodman uh, with that one, but um, one of them applied to her, but one, the other one applied to this game where um, I, Andre Carlisle also writes for Black and Red United. He's sitting next to me in the press box. And so that we could keep track of this other game. So we know where this, you know, I need to be able to write where the spirit are going to finish in the standings at full time. And we've got only a half an hour difference in these um, so he had this game on, you know, window on his computer so that we could, you know, I could glance over and check. And, he, you know, when Gotham took that three, nothing lead, we were talking about like, wow, this is really a remarkable goal and all this other stuff. And I said, like, I got to say though, if there's one matchup where I feel like both teams just have that little extra chaos where a three, nothing can turn to a three, three, it might be these two teams. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of nudged me when Orlando got one back. Yep. And then when they got the second one, he's like, not just like giving an elbow nudge, but like a full arm, like yes. shove. Right. And he's like, it's <laughs> happening. It's happening. Um, <laughs> they just ran and, out of time. Yeah. Yeah. If the game went, if they had, you know, five minutes more of stoppage, I would have been unsurprised. You know, yeah. Ashlyn Harris, even uh, going right. She for... was, she was, you know, crashing the box trying right. to. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I think also a, a point to be made when we talk about perhaps where people's heads are at, um, I'm sure you remember during the challenge cup last year, we had a number of scoreless draws, like really struggling to score and then some really wacky shootouts. Yes. And I think that when you think about people who are struggling to be fully mentally engaged for a full 90 minutes, which is very understandable, these are the results that you get. We've mm-hmm. had a couple scoreless draws. We had many massive multi-goal games mm-hmm. where it was kind of like basketball, where you would have teams go on these momentum runs and then the other team would also get their momentum run. And then, and that's not really what you see a lot. And so I think we saw a lot of defensive breakdowns that you might not have otherwise seen. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some, you know, some attackers not have their best games in front of goal, that sort of a thing. So not shocking, perhaps. It's, it's like playing to the trends that were already occurring before all of this. Right. But it got magnified. I think well, th- things feel out of control. Right. And both of those, like those two polls, both that zero zero game where no one ever really gets going feels like neither team could figure out how to control the game. Right. This chaos game feels like no one could ever keep control of the game. Right. And so you end up with these, you know, these two extremes and, you know, the contrast is maybe, that spirit Louisville game where the spirit controlled it from right, the get go to 90. Yeah. This right. other game was definitely like, is, you know, a little bit of, of hot potato. You mentioned basketball. We've both right. been watching these WNBA oh, playoff yeah, games, obsessed. which are just right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is like, 
Uh, I am I'm a dummy for basketball. I don't know anything. I, I enjoy basketball. I always have, but I also never know what's going on. So it's sure. always very like that's the, I just, that's the joy of it, though. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm just getting on the roller coaster and, and yep. being taken for the ride. That's and right. these playoff games have been very much like that. Um, and yeah, you know, Gotham, it's understandable at three nothing when the especially the second and third goals being you start to loosen up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a, you know, a, a very a, a really good free kick. And then that wonderful team goal that they managed to score. Right. Um, that kind of is like when you score a goal like that, it's almost like it's three nothing. And we just scored a goal where like the whole team is, is almost right. involved. It's kind of the exclamation point, And it's, it's forgivable to be like, this game's done. Right. Like, we just put it to bed. Well, and, but there's, and 50, the, there's 40 minutes left. Right. And the non PK was a, a, was a sort of a Kalen Sheridan, uh, mistake which she doesn't make often you know it's right. just and you do you just sort of shake it off and you're like well we got the win and that was weird um I think also maybe another theme and this is maybe a good one to switch over to Washington's three nothing win over Louisville is and we saw this on Sunday as well when you give NWSL players who are really good at soccer space and time to think they can score some great goals <laughs> yeah it turns out uh yeah. These are some folks that can do some magic things with a ball. Yes. Who would have thought? And it, it does actually maybe speak to, again, like when, when we have weekends where everyone's a little bit more mentally engaged, just how hard it is to score because the mm-hmm. defenses are, are, so, are so quick. And we just had a little bit less of that. So let's talk Washington's 3 nothing win over Louisville. We talked about the off-the-field stuff, right? That's kind of swirling around all of it. Um, you, you tweeted this, and I thought it was a good point which is that um, obviously Washington quote unquote has two, three nil losses on their record, Mm. but the games that they've actually played, they've been doing pretty well. And so it's always been this odd feeling of, yes, it feels like everything else is a dumpster fire, but the team is hanging in there. And when playing a team like Louisville, who is really struggling, their season is, is they had, they, it is over. Um, they and they don't really have a coach and it's they're they're having some trouble right now um they washington that's a huge uh, to me it seems like a momentum builder especially because maybe points wise they're in a slightly more precarious position because Mm. of those forfeits right yeah it's definitely um it was a cathartic win i think for them because they they have played uh, fairly well. They haven't lost yet in a game in a game that kicked off right. uh, under Chris Ward. They have not lost yet, um, and I think they take uh, some some pride from that. Uh, but you know, they do have those two forfeit losses that are kind of throwing a wrench in everything for them. And um, I, I think for them, it was also good to not just get the result, but also to have the comprehensive nature of the performance met with a good result because they, the spirit have had some games where they, they play this well Mm -hmm. at most phases of the game. And then they don't quite find the goals. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a team that has had some games where they find scoring and and creating chances pretty easy. And then there are other games where they do everything right. They get within about 25 yards of goal and they just can't figure out that final pass. And it can be very, very frustrating. Um, the players can be very frustrated because they know they're good enough to to be up near the top. Uh, this right. is a team that entered the year thinking that they were going to be pushing to be one of the top teams. Right. Um, and having that expectation and being very close, but not quite so often, 
um, has been, you know, outside of everything else weighing on them. That little soccer aspect has also been a source of some frustration for them. So being able to turn a good performance into the scoreline that says like, yes, it really was a good performance. Right. Um, I, I think that's going to carry them mentally. They they certainly need that little extra wind in their sails because the, the schedule set up for them. They went, uh, I think it was one game in 37 days and now it's four games in 10, four and um, 10. Yeah, which right. is bizarre. Uh, yes. Another bizarre thing. Um, so final, final word on, on Washington maybe is, uh, so a lot has been said, rightfully so, about the playmaking of Trinity Rodman, right? Mm-hmm. She's massively influential um, when she gets going. Ashley Sanchez as well. I remember at the beginning of this season, actually in the off season, when the spirit were putting their off season together. And we've actually gotten some news that some of those spirit moves perhaps were not always right. 100% in the best interest of the club. Mm-hmm. But uh I remember thinking to myself, oh, Ashley Hatch is going to have to have a good year. Mm-hmm. This is placing a lot of pressure on her as the point striker for them. Do you think that she is having one of the more underrated seasons this year, perhaps, with everything else kind of swirling around the team? Yeah, I think so. And and it, it took a little while. Yeah. Um, in the preseason, the number of times in the preseason and during the Challenge Cup uh, this year, um, which uh, in my mind is the preseason is still. preseason. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Um, but yeah, they, the, the talk in those, whenever we got to speak with, with coaches or players at that point is that the team knew they were close um, and that they were creating some chances that she just wasn't quite able to put away. And um, I know she expressed some, you know, I wouldn't sit, call it frustration, but definitely a like, I know I just have to keep plugging away and they're going to go in and I know it hasn't happened yet, but it will. Um, and for her to get going, uh, earlier in the season, I think it really is kind of as much as the spirit have so many different sources for playmaking, um, because they have that multiple players can play those, those longer balls that break defenses open when they, when they manage to pull teams forward. Um, obviously Trinity Rodman in this game, the, the pass she played on the first hatch goal might be the best pass I've seen in the entire league this season. Yep. Um, so they have so many weapons, but ultimately you are going to need much like the rain with uh, Bethany Balser. Right. Um, you do need somebody who can actually get into the spots and put all that creativity uh, and put the finishing touch on it. Um, and this is what Hatch has been maybe waiting for, for a little, mm-hmm. to a certain extent with the spirit, because for a little while there, she came to the spirit and they never quite played the style of soccer where she's getting space to make runs off the ball and is right. finishing boots off. She was asked, being asked to do a lot more, right. um, be more of a hold-up player. Right, um, back to goal a little bit more. Yeah, Right, and, and Chris Ward after, um, I can't remember if it was Wednesday's game or yesterday's game because they're all, it's it's tough at this point. It's all a blur. But uh, he mentioned, you know, the prospect of uh, Tara Mikion being a better holdup forward. And it clicked for me as like, you know, before she came to town, but they drafted her, but she wanted to stay and graduate. She joined in May. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Um, and before she came to town, going back into 2018, 2019, 2020, the spirit were asking Hatch to be both Ashley Hatch and Tara Mikion. Right. And now they are able to play in a way where she just has to be Ashley Hatch. Yeah. And I think it really has, uh, helped her build uh, some confidence up because I think I think at this point in her NWSL career, she expected to be further. Her rookie year, she was rookie of the year. She scored seven goals for the Courage. Right. 
I think she expected this to be that to be step one and step two to be even bigger. Right. Um, and it did not happen according to plan. Uh, but she's looking like the player that she was threatening to be when she came in. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's really her fault that it didn't happen more quickly because if we're being honest, you know, the 2018 spirit was uh, coaching you know, can affect that a lot. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. There were stylistic things where the spirit and even even when they they changed uh, and, and Richie Burke's system came in, um, they were not able to play the kind of soccer that led to the kind of chances that she thrives with. Mm-hmm. And now we see the goals she's scoring are not she's not having to be heavily involved in the buildup on right. the ball. She right. can she's still very involved in moving like tactically moving other defenders around. She's very good at that. But a lot of it is what she's doing without the ball. And she's being allowed to do that now. Right. Yeah. And I, I you know, it's it's great to see because I think that as we do see this playoff picture come in into frame hopefully i mean it's gonna have to right season's almost over it will eventually happen um you want you want these kinds of teams to be in your postseason you want Mm -hmm. the washington spirit in your postseason you want houston dash in your postseason you want all rain portland thorns you want these these teams that have interesting facets to them to be the teams that make it and so it was heartening to see um to see the four point four point week from the spirit so let's talk about sunday's games um which good for North Carolina, honestly, that they got this result against Louisville in the midweek. Mm-hmm. They had a rough one, rough one on Sunday. Yes. Um, North Carolina. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, I think about Kansas city versus Portland, but we talked a little bit that about that in, in the segment before. So I want to make sure we get to the North Carolina element. Um they are obviously in, in the middle of, of this past week in a very personal way. And it's always interesting to see what players need at any time. And each club culture is going to be a little bit different. Mm. And each group is going to respond to things a little bit differently. Um, we've, they've wanted more privacy. It seems like they have, mm-hmm. they did not really want to speak to media on Wednesday, which I fully understand. The coaches were also not made available, which I'm not sure I agree with that decision, but for players, absolutely. Um, and, and so really what we've seen from North Carolina as a player group has just sort of been what we've seen on the field. Um, and they were able to sort of do what it is that they do against Louisville in the midweek. Um, a pretty disheartening loss to the dash on Sunday. Um yeah. The dash press took them apart entirely. Brivasali, well, actually, Jessica McDonald was, was the first person to score, mm. but then Brivasali gets the equalizer. Rachel Daly has a brace. Shea Groom gets a goal. It, it just seemed like they were powerless against what the dash were trying to do. Um, again, I'm going to ask you a question I know you don't know the answer to, but what does North Carolina do now? Uh, that's a that's a really good question because they're still in playoff position right like they're getting it done mm -hmm. but Uh, you know that it it's one of those things like you know you mentioned the teams you want to see get into the playoffs and one of the things that I think I would even add is you want to see teams that are in good form you don't want to see someone that's backing into the playoffs yes right it feels like the courage might end up if they get in and I still say if, because like as much as they are well-placed, they're only two points ahead of the spirit. Right. Um, they're only four points from Orlando who are in eighth. Right. Um, and it does feel like the courage might, if they get in, it might be backing in. 
um, at the moment because there there's there's a moment in this game because these games were going this game and um the rain game the, yeah. yeah they were going on at the same time so I had both both of them on on one screen and I you know it's kind of hard to keep track of what what's going on um, maybe my brain is just uh, becoming soup uh, with all the everything um, that's happening but there was a moment in this one on the fourth goal where uh, you see Abby Ursig trying to make a tackle on Vasali and not quite getting it done and then getting a second chance and not mm-hmm. quite getting that one done either. And, uh, you know, I found myself not surprised to see players struggling to do the normal thing for themselves. This is not the normal courage level of play right. um, individually or collectively. And I don't know that how you fix that other than giving everyone some time to process because right. they have so much to process. Yes. Um, I don't, you know, if I, if I'm Sean Nahas, I'm not really sitting around like trying to brainstorm a new formation or a tactical adjustment. Do you even train like what you're just trying yeah. to figure out what the players need. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of that might be down to like, how many of you feel up to training who feels right. up to training. And, you know, if, if it ends up being 14 players, let's say I have no inside information right. is right. hypothetical, hypothetical. Right. but like, let's say half the roster says like, yeah, I, I would like to get out and have a training session. It would be a good distraction for me. And the other half says like, I can't do it. Like I right. need to be on my own and I need to have some, some space. What can you really effectively do uh, right. from a soccer winning soccer games perspective? There's not much. Um, it, it uh, it seems like a situation that can only be fixed by players healing enough to be at their best. And I don't know. I certainly don't blame them for not being there now. Right. Um, of, of all the the teams, I think um, they're a team that certainly has earned the right to not be at their best. Absolutely. Uh, at soccer. So, yes. yeah, I don't have a um, I don't have any uh real advice or or. Uh, anything to offer because it's like, well, what can you do if you're I, in their you shoes just right keep now? Putting one foot in front of the other, right? And yeah. just sort of see what happens on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, you just talk about, like you said, execution, engagement. Obviously, mm-hmm. what we were talking about is how difficult Houston is to play when they're at 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all of that sort of compounding into a really just rough result. Yeah. Um, I think also with North Carolina, you have Sam Mewis coming slowly back from injury. Um, I'm sure she is someone who is is dealing with a lot of emotions right now. Um, whether that person comes back right away, you know, that sure. gets called into question. We've seen player movement out of North Carolina, right? We mm-hmm. saw Abby Dahlkemper um, from, from what we've mostly heard. That was a move that she mostly asked for. Yeah. Um, there's that element. There was the trade to that Kansas city trade, yeah. which still has never made a ton of sense. Um, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're a team that was in flux before any of this occurred. Mm-hmm. And, and now there's just so much more, more weight to it. Um, and yet they're a team with a lot of really good soccer players. And so they right. can definitely turn it on in the day would not want to play them uh, at home, never easy to go into North Carolina and play that team. Um, yeah, I think probably it is sort of something where you kind of, you want to look away for a while yeah, and then yeah. maybe we'll revisit it with them in a couple of weeks and sort of see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the schedule is not waiting for them. So that makes it hard. Um, so let's talk about maybe the talking about this, this scoreless draw 
between Kansas City and Portland. Um, not a lot to talk about from the soccer side other than you talk about a team that was close to this story. Um, I thought Megan Klingenberg was, was very vulnerable on Wednesday, sort of talking about how she mm-hmm. was feeling and how the team is feeling. And they are a team that has had to take, as we said in the first segment, collective action um, to speak to their own front office, though. Kling did say that she feels like I don't think the team doesn't feel supported by their front office. It's just more work while they are emotionally dealing with the fallout of the rest of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like it's possible that all of that is exacerbating whatever weaknesses the team already had. Mm. Um, So maybe my question for you, Jason is, Mark Parsons is leaving, right? And as we get closer to the end of the season, he's leaving sooner and sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's is even... it harder to find kind of a unifying point here mm-hmm. in the disaster of this week with a coach who is not thinking about next year, you know? Right. Yeah, and, and they've already had to deal with um, a window where he went f- with the Netherlands during the international window. Um, so they've already gotten kind of a taste of what that will be like. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, knowing Mark from his time in Washington as well, you know, he's still um, kind of uh, gives me a, a minor shout out if I come on a, a Thorns call. Um, but uh, I, I imagine he didn't make that trip to the Netherlands to to do some of the his future work. He didn't do that lightly. Right. Um, but it is still a very strange situation for all parties to right. – to know your coach is leaving to be the coach and know that you're leaving. Um, and you know, how do you create the same environment without that sort of, you know, the, the carrot for lack of a better way to put it of like performing well now, uh, means winning a championship means establishing ourselves for next year. Maybe you're a player who isn't a starter right now. Are you playing for, the coach that you know has kind of made his mind up uh, about you. Um, and yeah, it, it's only human uh, as well for, for there to be uncertainty from, from all sides. It's hard to focus when everyone involved knows uh, that he's going to leave. Right. Um, but I also, once he got approached going back to when that happened, I don't know how else they could have handled it. Um, once he agreed to that, there's no keep him keeping it a secret. And then it, possibly getting out would have been a disaster. Yes. Right. Um, and so being honest about it is the best policy, but it does come with these, you know, these downsides where the thorns looked for a little while, they're like kind of unbeatable. Right. Um, I remember seeing them when they came to um, Segra field. There was and, that two month period where I don't think they dropped a game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they looked, um, you know, that was a game where not only did they, they won one, nothing, but it was like about as confident a one, nothing as you're going to get. Yeah. Um, and they've lost that, that certainty in exactly yes. what they're doing. Right. Um, you, you mentioned a little earlier, the, the, not the lack of certainty in sort of so the, the lineup, um, where players go, where players are best. Right. Um, they've lost a little edge on that front. Um, Sophia Smith has certainly like kind of nailed down a forward spot which is progress from the start of the year. It was very unclear who the starting forwards were. Right. Um, she's definitely written her name down in pen there, but like the other spot feels as uncertain as ever. Right. Um, 
And yeah, it, it feels like a team that has had it figured out and is now like, well, maybe we didn't have it figured out. And they're now kind of scratching their heads a little bit about who they're supposed to be, um, which is it's interesting because it's not like, you know, you don't see them grasping at straws formation wise. This isn't right. a team that's tinkering heavily, but the the finer details are sort of that were there are sort of getting away from them now. And it's it's not a great time to have those details slipping out of your hands, I will say. Well, and it's also something where this extenuating circumstances absolutely after this Mm -hmm. week. Um, But we've seen Mark Parsons teams struggle with the last quarter of their season in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like a mix of of some things that we've seen before and some things that might, that are new. Um, Yeah. I think maybe like my, my take on it is it's kind of weird, but, but okay to have a coach um, be on their way out when things are all going pretty well and things are normal. Um, I think when there's a lot of, of chaos uh, surrounding the team, that gets a lot harder. Um, yeah. But it is the situation that they are in. And, and I think that obviously they're going to do their best to, they, they are in no, they clinched the playoffs this week. Like they're mm-hmm. fine, but if they lose to the rain midweek, um, that's the shield slipping away. So, yeah. and, and questions there as well. You, you know, this game is one where, both of these games, um, they took a ton of shots. Mm-hmm. It's like 40 something shots between the two games. Um, so it's not like they are very far from getting it right. They right. are having most of the play go their way, which is what you would expect, uh, with all due respect to the teams they played, you right. would expect them to control those games. Um, but there's a difference between controlling a game and being able to turn that into uh, successful uh, winning soccer. Right. And they are missing that last little bit. Um, and you know, I, you know, you see some of the lineup changes they make the cycling forwards in, you know, Morgan Weaver came in for, for Dunn in this, this game. Um, Parsons loves his double forward switch. Um, so he made the double sub again. Um, so you see players coming in to try and like, it's sort of like, let's jar this thing loose and see if it can get running like it used to. Right. And currently it's not really happening. Um, and I don't know if that's there's also the oddity of playing at Kansas City on that particular playing surface. Yes, um, that makes every game feel very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also I also feel like because I haven't been there, I don't I I can't speak to anyone else that's that's seen a game on TV there versus being there. But I can say that I've never been there, and watching the games on TV, it's very difficult to gauge much right at games in that venue when we see them on the broadcast because the field narrow, the angles are strange. Yes. It's just a bizarre place for soccer. I'm so glad that that team will not have to They'll play there next day. year. Right. It's a, a stadium that, that befits them because like, just from a personal angle, it's just like, I don't want to sit and need like 10 minutes to sort out how this midfield is setting up because the angles are so strange that I can't tell. Right. Um, Cause I'm, I'm, I hate to pat myself on the back. I'm very proficient. I may be alarmingly too much proficient being able to watch soccer on TV and, and figure out a formation. What's and happening? when I, right. when I watch a Kansas city game at, at legends field, I'm like, what, what's going on? I'm lost. Yeah. And I think, right. I don't want to completely overlook Kansas city here. Sure. You know, they, they've put together a good string of results at home on that weird little field. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they're building towards the next thing. They've got some positive momentum going. Obviously their season is essentially over, but um, they're building for next year. They're one of the few teams that maybe feels like they are, uh, confidently building for next year. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the last game of the weekend. Um, this one also significant in result, I think. 
um, also played on a baseball field. O.L. Rain beat the Chicago Red Stars three to two. Um, honestly, not a terrible game from the Red Stars. You know, they sort of did the thing that they do. They they hopped on on top early. A very nice goal from Mallory Pugh. Jess Fishlock scores a banger yeah. that just sort of, I think, breaks the game wide open, right? When someone scores a goal like that, there's going to be a ripple effect for them mm-hmm. for at least five to seven minutes of just being on fire. And that's kind of how what happened. They put together a very nice team goal after that. Um, Rose Lavelle, I think it's her first goal, right? As, yeah. as a rain yeah. player. Yeah. Um, puts them up 3-1. Also kind of a weird one. Tatum Malazzo scores a screamer yeah. um, and in the 69th minute. And, and it's really end to end for the last 20 or so minutes. Chicago just can't find that equalizer. They lose three to two. Um, O.L. Reign might win the shield, it seems. They, they certainly they're in the, the kind of form where you you mentioned that they're playing Portland. Um, that game does kind of feel like if Portland can hold them off even right. to a draw then Portland probably doesn't lose the shield in the right. end. But if that game goes uh, the reins way, you have to expect at that point that they're going to go on and win it. It's going to be a big character game. I think actually for both teams, mm-hmm. um, both teams are going to really want even just emotionally to get that full result. Um, yeah. I was impressed by the rain. I, I think that Jess Fishlock, quite frankly, is having an MVP level season. Um, I yeah. think she is one of the few players for the rain that has been 100% consistent from them from day one of the Ben Steady era to mm-hmm. now. Um, and they did have to rotate a little bit. Eugenie Le Samer did not come in until the second half. Uh, Megan Rapino was not available. They, they had to move some stuff around and Sofia Huerta as an attacking outside back has been really growing into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, well, again, with Chicago, I don't think they played that poorly, but Chicago is a team that maybe needs a game to go a very particular way yeah. in order to get the result. And that didn't happen just because the rain are excellent. Yeah. I, I think to speak to Chicago's um, the way that they need a game to go, I think if the game becomes about which team is going to produce more bangers, yes, then that's going to not, not, that's not a game Chicago can play. Yeah. Right. That's not, I mean, they got one. Yes, um, they and they got also the like classic Mallory Pugh goal. Yes. Um, with that, I feel like all of her goals look almost exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they, so they did do pretty well at this. This was kind of like them giving this kind of game their best shot. Right. Uh, but I also know that like Rory Dames is not saying, let's go have a wide open game on the road. Right. Is the last thing he wants. Um, he never wants to go on the road and have an, a wide open game. Um, and yeah, yeah, like you said, the the fishlock goal really did have an emotional impact, I think, yeah. on both teams. Um, and it kind of it's the kind of goal that gets everyone involved. So like there's like an excitement factor. Like yes. play, teams yeah. it kind of breaks your focus on like, no, no, we're here to not have this wide open game. It's kind of right. tempting to be like, Well, I can I can hit one like that. Let's right. let's have yeah, a exactly. let's have yeah. some fun. Yeah. Um and unfortunately if you go to uh Cheney Stadium and you try to have a lot of fun you might end up in a game like this. Um, and this is not the, the, the rain are playing an interesting brand of soccer. right now you mentioned um, Sophia Huerta playing right back. And it's, it's very interesting to watch how Laura Harvey has them set up where um, there's a lot. I mean, ostensibly this lineup features five different central midfielders. Some of them yes. are not playing central midfielders. Right. But they, yeah. That's where they belong. Yeah. Um, 
And the it's whole very idea- narrow in a way, except yeah. where to provide such nice width to what they're doing. Right. And, and, and so they, they draw you in yeah. and they draw teams in over and over. And then they're always able at the right moment to get it out. With, like the run arrives at the right time from where to, mm-hmm. and they bring her into the play really well. It helps if it's like Jennifer Marajan is the one making that decision as to uh, when yeah. to bring her in. <laughs> yeah. right. um, and uh, the timing of like, even, you know, where to got what all was it three assists in this mm-hmm. one or am I? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, she got the three assists, but it's like, it wasn't just that. It just seemed like any time like the rain came forward in this game. And like I said, I had this, I had two, two games going at once, but when my eyes would go to that game and the rain were coming forward, it would seem like play was inevitably going to shift out to the right. right. And Chicago was just a step behind how inevitable that was and how soon it was going to happen. Well, I um, also think that, and I said, I said something to this effect. I, I always felt like Vladko's reign that that first season that they played at Cheney, Cheney field never actually always was at their best playing at home. It never felt mm-hmm. like they fully knew what to do with a field that narrow. Mm-hmm. And I go back to them, that beat down that Chicago placed on them. I think that was a four, nothing for one game mm-hmm. um, where Chicago is a very narrow team as well. And, and they were able to use the dimensions to their, to their best ability. Aaron Wright had a very good game. They win by a lot. It seems like this, this version of the rain, like you said, with so much central quality to have a, a field that is that narrow. So all of these players that are so good on the ball are about 10 feet from one another at all yeah. times. And so they're able to find each other really well. I thought Quinn had another great game. Rose mm-hmm. Lavelle is thriving in that environment. I just think it's hard. And like you said, that one extra element of having Huerta, and, and this is true, I think, with any attacker who is in an outside back position is that she's obviously an exceptional attacking outside back. I don't know what happens if a team really runs at her um, just because that is still, it's even a new project again. She hasn't done Mm -hmm. that a lot recently, Um, but it's just too many different ways to beat you. And when they're also right, if when they're hitting hail Marys from, you know, 25 yards out, that also makes it hard. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that this really changes my estimation of Chicago that much, except, and maybe we'll end with this not a good result for them. And it feels perhaps worse. I do think in the context of the games that games were not played last weekend and mm-hmm. they did not play midweek. Right. If they had maybe beaten Orlando a week ago, this one feels like a freebie. You say, okay, we knew that was going to happen. Right. Fine. But now they really need to beat Orlando on Wednesday. Yeah. You talk yeah. about needing to run the table. I think Chicago needs to get, two wins out of three and probably seven points out of an available nine to feel secure in, in finishing in that top six, mm. which they are the team, you know, I watch, watch very closely, but um, there's, they are a team that has been playing pretty well. This was their first loss actually in a really long time, mm. but it always feels like they're a little bit like adjusting to the game in front of them rather than some of these other teams that we're talking about where we're like, you want to see that in the postseason. Yeah. The, yeah. The Red Stars, I think are kind of maybe the team in NW. So they're fundamentally trying to prevent the other yes. team from doing what they want to do. This yes. was um, when Freya Coombe was at Gotham. I thought they were that team Yeah. Um, right there with Chicago, but now Chicago is kind of the one team that plays like this. Yes. Um, and it, it's, that's Rory Dames has 
coached like that for quite a while. This is right. not a new thing. They're not unfamiliar with it. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to be that team when you have, we're talking about some teams finding their form, right? Um, the rain obviously are the form team in the league. Mm -hmm. The spirit are unbeaten in games. They've actually taken the field for in six, uh, and, and by calendar, uh, by the calendar, that's like a two plus month period of time in real life. The dash, um, it's more recent, but they look so good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you're Chicago and your your whole way of being is, is like, we have to make sure the other team doesn't get to play their game. Right. Um, if the other team is, so, is playing so well and doing so well at making it their game, how do you respond to that? And I, I think that is kind of always the question for right. a team that, not just for Chicago, but a team that wants to play like that in any league. Um, that is the question they have to answer because it is a very difficult life to lead. It's, it's um, uh, from covering on the MLS side, covering DC United for years, D- Chicago looks for all the world to me, like Ben Olsen's DC United. So I yes. feel very familiar when I watch them, yeah. but I also know how draining that is for players. To- it seems ex- it does. That's the thing. It always seems, it seems exhausting. It makes playing a game look really hard sometimes yes. it's it takes everything every yeah. single time right and the games where chicago has not done well where they've just kind of they've had a couple games where they just hit with a thud from right. kickoff and that was that those are the games where they just couldn't for whatever reason bring that that like i'm really seriously giving like i'm not giving 100 in scare quotes i'm giving literally everything i have today right. And then in three or four days, I have to like, you know, Chicago's got to come back from Tacoma and play this game. So they've got the added impact of this longer trip, which leads into this really massive game. You know, Orlando and Chicago are now seventh and eighth. Yep. Um, We talked about the playoffs creeping into October on Halloween. That's a playoff game. Oh, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Chicago now has to come into it having played and having poured so much into the game, so much energy and emotion and then they have to get on a plane and fly all the way back and adjust on all those aspects. So um, it is a, you know, it's a very tough life to lead uh, yeah. playing the red stars way. And yes. um, I, I'm that game is going to be, I, I, unfortunately it's exactly it's overlaps with the spirit and Carolina. It's going to um, be a big Wednesday and yeah. Wednesdays are tough. I mean, it's again, it happened because of, of some extraordinary circumstances, but yes. to have games that significant all being played on a Wednesday night is also a little bit surreal. I will say. Yes. Um, but yeah, exactly. So maybe not a ton more clarity in the table, but we have certainly seen some movement. Houston looks great. OL rain looks great. Portland has built enough of a lead and also they didn't lose this weekend. Um, you know, we've got Washington looking good. We got Chicago, really is Chicago and Orlando looking like it's going to be a, a battle and mm. Gotham. The whole thing with Gotham is they still have a game in hand somehow. And that is going to be crucial. So lots to talk about. Thank you, Jason, for joining me. I uh, enjoyed, I honestly just enjoyed talking some soccer there a little bit in the second half. That was nice to get back to a little bit. Um, hopefully more good news, less bad news in the future. Um, I want to shout out our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Uh, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you to Blue Wire Podcast, our distributor. And we will be back with y'all next week with, I'm sure, a new, it's Halloween, a new, a new brand of horrors and also hopefully spooky delights. Uh, all right, everyone have a good week.